In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. As it's said on the program, today I wanted to do the life of Saint Senya, but I was thinking as I was listening to the service, and I'm sure many of you were listening, that really, what's there to say, that because when you're actually listening to the service, you're listening to the whole life. Right through the service is everything I'm going to mention. Well, what I wanted to mention. So, when I was young and used to go to church, or say around 22 or 23 years old, as I've said other times, I used to um, sit in the churches and they used other languages, you know, whether I went to Russian or Greek, and uh, couldn't understand anything that was being sung or read. And for me, I found that frustrating. I mean, it was nice and the services and of course you get grace. But St. Paul says it's very important to listen to the word of God. Even two or three words spoken in a language that someone understands is worth more than if you sit all day and blab in another language. And in America, they're much more progressed than us, as I've said other times. They actually have Orthodox churches everywhere which do full services in English. And as much as it might sound nice in Slavonic, and I'm not saying for you not to go, or in Greek, or in Arabic, or Serbian, or whatever language, whatever jurisdiction some of you people come from, because we've got a mixture here, it is still, as you notice tonight, even if the singing's not even that good, it's still very, very important to participate in services in your own language. But that depends a lot on the people. So, for example, in America, they wanted that. They wanted English services. They still have their other services for the Greeks that are there and Russians that are there, etc. But the ones that were born in America, they wanted, a lot of them wanted English. They wanted it and they got it. We must admit that we are really behind compared to um, America. Uh, they are really... Um, the books that they produce, the videos they produce, the CDs that they produce, there are so many things that they produce and there are so many Orthodox there that aren't even Russian background or Greek background. They are American, a lot of them converts, a lot of them could be even two or second or third generation of Orthodox who aren't Russian. They could be Americans that, you know, that were converted in the 60s and then their kids, and then their kids' kids, and the things. So it's actually like generations of English-speaking, non, what to say, non-ethnic type of um, people. And in Australia, hopefully, that will happen as well, because orthodoxy is rich, is the truth, and people are looking for that, even amongst Muslims in some countries like Indonesia and other countries where, where, where they are concentrated, a lot of them are seeking. So regardless, I will still do the life of St. Xenia. I think it's um, good and we can, I will mention a few points and then through it I will make some comments. And if some people don't understand, because sometimes what I do is I, um, I say some uh, shocking comments on purpose 
to wake you up, but also to make your ears come up, listen, become a bit terrorised at times, think about what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that you're going to throw chairs and things like that. What you do is you have to listen, see that just in case I give the answer further on in a minute or so, and if you're still not sure, you can ask in a civil manner without having to get all aggressive and things like that. Because a lot of times, what we think is not actually what it is. So I do do that. You know, those people on the radios like the shock jocks, well, I'm a bit of a shock priest. I like to say something to make the person think. Even if it means they get a bit angry for the time being, that's good. And then we, the person goes, what's he mean? What's he saying? What's, I don't understand that. And that want allows me then to say what I want to say to, to go in, because it has to be a want. You know, you can't preach to plants. So it's the same here. You have to preach to humans, and humans are people that are angry, emotional, they feel, they're inquisitive, they get all these type of things. That's what orthodoxy is about, with dealing with people of all different natures. So, the first thing, little is known about the life of Saint Senya. Even the exact date, they don't even know when she was born, they don't even know when she died. Some believe 1720, some believe 1730, some believe she passed away around 1800, 1803, they're not sure. And this happens sometimes. Sometimes in our lives of saints we have detail, excellent detail, and sometimes we lose the detail over the centuries. Let's see what we do know. So as I said before, some believe that she was even born into a rich family. There's no proof of that. But that's just some theory. That, that's okay. That's a, we can do that. that. She was a beautiful girl, a Russian, obviously living in... And then she lived in the city of Petersburg. Anyway, what we do know is, at a certain age, when she became of age, she got married. And she got married to a really handsome, dashing uh, army colonel with the name of Andrew. And they were much in love, as you'll see. They were worldly people. They went to Russian balls, they went to dancing here and there, they went to drinking parties. Uh, really, they weren't uh, conscious Orthodox Christians. He was a chanter in the royal court there for the, um, where the Tsar was. So people will say, well, you're just saying now that he's, he's, they were worldly, but yet he's a chanter. And this is where people get confused. And this is where this, this, this is a very sensitive topic. People think that because someone's a reader or helps in the altar or chants, that that means that they are automatically well, Christians, orthodox, that they are fervent. But that doesn't mean that. Well, here's an example, as you'll see in a minute. What, what, what happened to um, uh, Senior's husband, Andrew, where, yes, he was a chanter, but he was worldly. And unfortunately in the church, without making offence, we're not going to speak about individuals, because I don't know people, I'm just going to say, in general, uh, the church has many, whether it's Greek, Antiochian, it doesn't matter whether it's Serbian or that, the, the church has a need. And as a result of that need, they're not very selective. And that's to our embarrassment. 
I'll give you an example in Greece. When I was in Greece once, I was at a monastery, this is before I became a, a, a monk and priest. I was at a monastery and this uh, priest came. I didn't know who he was and then I spoke to him a little bit and he said oh, he's going to serve some services there, that he was just ordained. I go, okay, so you were just ordained. Okay, so, um, yeah, he said, well, what happened was that I had the thought on Thursday and I went to the priest of the island, to the bishop of the island, okay, and then he made me a deacon on Saturday and then he made me a priest on Sunday. I saw him on Monday. And I said, oh, didn't, I didn't know how to, how to take that. And this is quite, uh, unfortunately, this does happen. Uh, some bishops can't believe their ears when they hear someone say, oh, I'm interested in becoming a deacon, I'm interested in becoming a priest or something. And some, because they're so desperate, um, they'll make them without even examining them or letting some time pass by to check. And he, and I said to my case, so your spiritual father, that's, uh, that's good, so your spiritual father must have, you know, he must know you a lot to allow you to, you, very quickly you became... And he goes, what's a spiritual father? So I think that, will, that, that says a lot about that. And also we see that we, people like young children going into the altar, or people chanting, and I'm, as again, I'm not going to condemn, I'm going to say some facts which are orthodox facts on this, on this matter. A lot of Holy Fathers say this. Anyone that approaches Christ, anyone that approaches Christ, that starts to pray, and a lot of you know, we have, we go through temptations. A lot of times people can come up to me and say, I feel um, a lot of uh, temptations. It's really intense lately. And I asked them the question, have you began to pray? And they said, yes, how do you know? I said, because that's what happens. So this happens for, to um, all Orthodox Christians in general. However, however, when someone goes towards monasticism, reader, subdeacon, deacon, priest, the warfare is more intense. So if you people have noticed that you actually get hit around quite a bit when you start to pray and a lot of people say, I can't even get to, the, to, to, to pray or when I do, I get thoughts, or I get angry or um, children begin to scream and shout and all these type of things, then imagine those who are serving God in a more closer way. And it's a well-known fact that these people, including especially young children who are not conscious very much of the spiritual life, they get hit. And I make an analogy, like, you know, most some of you have gone bowling. So you've got, a, there's, there, there's the bowling thing there, and you've got those, what do you call those things, those pins at the end. And then we have the bowling ball. The bowling ball represents the demons. And then you bowl and strike. And that's what happens to people who are serving the church. 
they, uh, it's like they're saying, I'm going to serve God, come and get me. It's like we are opening the doors up to temptations. If the person who's taken on this way, whether it's even a young boy in the altar, whether it's a chanter, doesn't matter who it is, if you are helping in the church, it's like you're saying to the enemy, come and get me. And if that person does not understand prayer, does not understand spiritual life, does not understand humility, does not understand, doesn't have a discernment to understand things, does not very much a church person, they're going to get bowled over. Why? As I say in Greece, because the demons know that one of their most successful ways of destroying the church, because they don't want people to go to church, because obviously when you go to church, you're going close to Christ. They can't, they don't like that. They don't like anyone coming close to Christ. And how do we know that? Well, look on the TVs, look on the cinemas, look on the music and see everything against Christ and you can understand the mania behind it. There is a hate against Christ. So it's the same here. If the, when the demons can knock down one of the boys in the altar, the other boys at school or something like that say, that, I, I, I've seen that boy, he goes to church, he works in the altar and um, he, he smokes or takes drugs or he drinks or he's worldly or this or that or whatever because they're not really leading spiritual lives. And the other children say, well, if he's doing his in the church, then it must be okay, I'll do it. A chanter, the same thing. Oh, that, that girl, she chanted at... Um, at um, at the thing. Oh, uh, oh yeah, I saw her um, boogieing at the disco. Oh, does that mean that's allowed? Uh, must be. She's going. She goes to church. She knows all about church things. She chants. And this is very effective for the demons to knock down. And one of the other aims is pr children of priests very much a warfare against them. I remember in Greece speaking to some married priests and they said, oh, you know, I've, I'm really struggling hard just to keep my children because there's such a warfare. I remember another example of um, a bishop that I read when a man went and says, I want to become a, a priest. And the bishop said, that's okay. I'm, you know, you look like a thin person. I'll let's check with your spiritual father. Yes, that's good and all that. Uh, but I want to meet your wife first because to me... The bishop said, that's very important. So in comes the wife, not very spiritual, pretty worldly, doesn't, probably doesn't even pray and things like that. And then the bishop said to the priest, this is like a very strict bishop, sorry, I can't ordain you because once you become and then the warfare starts, then you will get bolded, you will get knocked out, maybe not through you, but through your wife. Right? So, or through the children, or through this, or through that. You know, that's, that, that's what I mean. So let's, not, let's be careful when we go to churches. As I said, we're not looking at jurisdictions. Anywhere. And people say to the children, push, push, go, altar, altar, altar. You know, and basically pushing them in. So the children don't want to go. Some children come to church for the first time. They don't even know what it's about. It's already alien to them. They come into the church, and all of a sudden they end up in 
this place, which is the author, which they don't even know what it is, where, in their opinion, it's addressed, because they don't know what it is, and they're embarrassed. And they're in there, and they do not even know what's going on. And even the ones that come for years, they don't even know when's the consecration, when's this part, when's that part, and they stand with one foot over like that, and then they're there, and they're yawning, and picking their noses, and all these type of things, within the, the, the most important part of the church service because they do not know what's going on. Now, some will say, oh, I've seen pictures of Archbishop John of San Shanghai and San Francisco, and he had little some young children in the altar when he served. Well, St. John died in 1966, I think, and that's about 41 years ago. I think at times a little bit different now. And we, I don't know what type of people he had. I know he was very strict. He was very, very strict on, on, the, on the young ones that were in there. So I suppose that if they're not going to do the right thing and they weren't really very spiritual, they wouldn't survive. That's probably why a lot of parents didn't like him. Actually, a lot of parents thought he was crazy. They didn't like him. And I think one of the reasons was because of the way that he, he was very, very particular about things. So do not just think, I'm going to wear black and I'm going to be a reed and I'm going to chant and I'm going to work in the altar and I'm going to do this and become a deacon and that. You're opening yourself up to warfare. If you have, um, a, if you're leading a conscious orthodox life, then that's, that's fantastic. But if you're not, really, uh, you um, could be um, and, uh, going towards a disaster. And it's not fair to force young people into altars and things like that. And especially if they're not leading spiritual lives, they become really tempted. Like I've heard people say, like, how come after I chant I feel like crazy? And how come um, when I go here and I feel like a, a sexual passion arising? How come this and how come that? And how come? It's because... Yeah, that can happen to all of us, by the way. St. John of Cronston says that while he was serving, he had the most filthy of images. But St. John of Cronston also prayed. And as priests, we have to endure that, hard that it is. But when someone doesn't even know how to struggle, then it's basically um, ca catastrophe. So he was a, he was a um, church person, and he was at a party one day with his wife, Xenia, drinking, drunk, dancing, singing, and he dropped dead. Suddenly, that was it. He just dropped dead. Maybe they couldn't work it out in those days because that was around the uh, 1750 or something like that. Probably didn't know. Maybe he died of a heart attack. People say, well, how can people die of a heart attack? Well, people are dying now of heart attacks very young. Maybe they didn't know then. But it doesn't say in, his, in the life how he died. He just dropped dead, basically. That's it. And then St. Um, Xenia became very disturbed because one she lost her husband as a human obviously she would she had a lot of love for her husband and that's really praiseworthy as well the fact that she had love for her husband and we'll see how much love she had where it led to but today with a lot of married couples there is a lack of love and when there's not much love well really it's like a marriage, like a torture. There's a lack of sacrifice in the marriage. 
People are selfish, are so selfish that they don't even sacrifice for their children or for their husbands or for their wives. Selfishness. And this is one of the reasons for the divorce. It's just such selfishness. And next year, God willing, I will be doing, maybe towards halfway through the year, I'm going to be doing some talks on that, on marriage, and I've got some very good material, and I'm going to also, I found an excellent book from the same author as this one that I gave, uh, that I gave out last time, on that, um, Confronting the Devil, Magic and the Occult, and those who weren't here last time can come and get one, feel free. And, um, but the same author, he wrote a book on marriage, and that book is, is, um, is uh, excellent. I remember an example to show you what the definition Some of you say selfish, selfish. What does that mean, selfish? What's this selfish? Some of you don't really understand exactly what the word, because we don't use that word much anymore in today's world. It's not a very, like we don't use the word, virginity is just about out. We don't use that, unless to mock it. And we don't use purity. We don't use humility. If you ask kids at school what's humility, they go, I don't know, what language is that? They're not sure. So there's a lot of words which have gone out, and one of them is the word I just said. Here's an example of, of a person. Uh, during the fast period, there was a, a fellow, I think he used to drive trucks, and um, it was fasting time. And his wife, I'm not focusing, some of you might think I'm focusing just on women, they're selfish examples of men. This is just one example that came to my mind. And this, and this wife was so selfish that she would not prepare food, lunch, simple thing, for her husband. All right, I mean, if she's lazy, at least when it's a non-fasting day, he can go and you know, get a McDonald's or Kentucky Fried, whatever other rubbish is out there. Not healthy, but at least he won't starve. But this person had nothing at all. And he would eat... All day, tunas and chips, Smith chips, whatever they're called, and bread, and maybe some tomatoes and lettuce. And that's how he went through, you know, especially Lent, which is um, seven weeks, seven weeks of Lent. We're not even supposed to eat the fish, but anyway, what could he do? He was so desperate. And that person got sick. He got sick. I mean, every time I would see him, look into the truck, whatever it was there, and, you know, there was this whole heap of tuna cans at the back of the, um, of the car. Tuna cans. And Smith chips. And th that was at the back of the car. That's the all that he could eat. And I said to the wife, why are you doing that? And she goes, oh, I'm lazy. To me, that marriage is dead. That marriage is basically down. I mean, that person, that man would have to really endure that, patient, and etc. I mean, you don't divorce someone because they're not cooking for you, but it is really not a very, very nice existence. And other people, that don't sacrifice for their children. Now, some of you might say, uh, we are spiritual people. We've come to church to listen to spiritual things, not about Smith chips and tuners and snap. But this is where we're confused in the Orthodox Church. We think that spiritual life is outside of everyday life. And this is what orthodox life is about. Everyday life. Like 
there's other people. Um, another example is um, a woman comes up to me and she goes, oh, how should I fast for this and what prayer should I do and how many prostrations should I do, you know, when they go down on the ground, etc., etc. And yet the, her, her, her child's backside was red as because she wouldn't change the nappies often or when she did, she wouldn't wipe properly. And that caused fungus infection, inflammation, etc. The child was suffering and she wanted to know what should I do to in this Lent? What kind of fasting should I do? My answer to her was don't fast. What prayer should I do? Don't pray. Because by praying and fasting, you think that you're good. But meanwhile, your child's in there. The child's screaming. If I ever was on the phone, you could hear the child screaming. And she would say, look, I have to go now because I've got to do my prayer rule. So she had to run to do her prayer rule while the child is suffering. This is orthodoxy. Yes, even that's orthodoxy because that is really selfish and it's a big sin. And I refuse if a person does not repent over that and a person doesn't try, at least the person to realise that's wrong, make a struggle to, to um, do the right thing. And if they don't, then I would refuse that person even to commune. And this is what sometimes people need. We need those things to wake up that this is not the right thing. Orthodox is not just reading the Bible. Orthodox is not just going to the church. And Orthodox is not communing and confessing even sometimes. Orthodox is living the life at every moment. Everything. At work. At school. At the university. In your car. Everywhere is Orthodox life. Not just one thing. So... Babies are crying, rashes, husbands hungry, husbands that uh, their wives have just given birth, and when a woman just gives birth, that's really, really difficult. The church says 40 days it takes for the woman to recover, and she's not allowed to come to church. People say, why isn't she allowed to come to church and this and that? Well, it's not because she's going to defile the church. The reason is, it's because the, the woman at that time needs a lot of rest. She needs to be able to bond with the baby and all these things which now these all these doctors and midwives are starting to preach and say we have to do this. And you know what they will say now at the hospitals? Um, a woman needs six weeks to um, recover. Um, excuse me, but um, nurse or whatever, um, the Orthodox Church has been saying that for 2,000 years and we already know that. But the thing is, we need them to tell us, but when the church tells us, we say, oh, what does the church know? They're backward. So this, look, I've seen men, unmoved at all. Unmoved at all. Especially if the woman's had her second or third. So if there's another one or two children in the house, another one or two children in the house, and she's got a baby, she can only really concentrate on just the baby. That's how difficult it is. But yet, because of the society we live in, you know, we're not in the villages anymore. It's like where there used to be your auntie and your great auntie and your uncles and this and that. 
you know, if you need any help, what you had to do was ring the bell and a hundred people from the village would come because they were related to you and they would come and help you. But we don't live in that time much anymore. A lot of people live isolated. And that's why a lot of women, you know, jumping off balconies and having breakdowns and postnatal depression and things like that. A lot of it is fatigue, not sleeping, being hard. The husband has to be very, very sensitive. What really, really knocks me out is when you see non-Orthodox, even people that don't even believe in any atheists, let's just say, who really take care of their wives, help them, etc., etc. And yet we've got the Orthodox, a lot of Orthodox husbands, don't help. See, that's selfishness. Saint Senya, we're going to notice, she took sacrifice to the extreme because of the love she had for her husband. This bond, like we read Saint Macrina, who is the sister of Saint Basil the Great, she was, I think, engaged, and Saint Macrina's husband, uh, fiance, died. And she said, and it said in her life that she didn't want to marry. And public, some people say, oh, that's because the church is ruling this and that. No, that's not what it is. It's because, and we forget because later on we read that she was a monastic and she was holy and we don't really look at the real meaning of why she chose not to remarry because her love for that particular person, even though they weren't married, but she had such a love for him that she could not bear to be with another person. These are very, very strong love. These are inspiring for people today to read these things and to um, aspire towards love like that and not to have this selfishness which comes from our young days. I was listening on the way here in the Karna CD, Father Seraphim Rose, and he was saying that, you know, in this, the kids a lot of selfishness now because whatever they want, they get straight away and this teaches selfishness. And actually, next year when I do read those, some of that information for you, one, holy, uh, one abbot from Mount Athos, he wrote an article about those who want to get married, and some of you here are noticed a single, which would be good for you to come, but even the marriage should come. And it actually says in there, check out who you're going to marry. Are they selfish? Don't marry them. doesn't matter about the love. doesn't matter supposedly the love or the lust or whatever. Don't marry them. People say, oh, love will conquer everything. That's the new thing now. Love will conquer everything. As long as I love this person, that will be the main thing. But as St. John Christen said 1,600 years ago, before uh, Freud and Oprah's and Dr. Phil's and all these other people who have come now to enlighten us, well, 1,600 years ago, he said, the sexual aspect, because people get married and they're, they're into that, one or two years, he said, and after that, that dies out, and after that, you're left with the person. And you see this, I mean, now it actually happens really quick, sometimes it's even a couple of months, where it's just basically, oh, he's selfish, she's this, oh, she just doesn't even uh, put her, um, her clothes away, or the man this and this and that, because of selfishness. And this actually, this abbot said, um, don't marry because you're going, to be, you're going to suffer. So don't think that just love is the only solution. If it was, then we wouldn't have a divorce rate of 
50% because a lot of them obviously were in love. They weren't forced to get married. Some of them probably were if they come from different cultures, but in the majority of them, they weren't forced to marry, but they divorced. Why? And you see them. And she does this and he does that. And he doesn't listen to me and she doesn't care and she doesn't this, doesn't iron my shirt or he, she does, he doesn't care and doesn't hold the baby sometimes when I'm dead and things like that. Divorce. So, I want to speak more about that, as I said, Godwin, next year and do a specific talk and I'm going I'm, you know, I'm to get that book on that marriage and I'm going to give it out to every single person. It will be excellent for those who are married and for those who are thinking of getting married. So, most people in a similar situation could have despaired. She just lost her husband. She was only 26 years old. Some could have committed suicide. People do that. Or just started blaspheming against God and go, why did God allow this? And what made it worse is that she started to realise that um, he died without confession and without communion. It doesn't mean, as I said, that because someone confesses and communes, it means that they're automatically saved, because it depends on how you confess and how you commune. I know people that confess and commune often, but spiritually, they're dead. It doesn't mean just because you're dead. But in this case, this person, even though he's a chanter, he did not confess, repent, confess, and commune. This really, really disturbed her. She started to think about, oh, that there's more to life than just parties. And she started to think, where is he now? Where is he? Because she had so much love for him. Where is he now? And then she began to understand, probably, she was orthodox, obviously, but she must have went to priests, got spiritual advice, and started to realise, no, he's not dead. His soul continues on, which is what we're going to do next year. Um, next year's talk, February, March, will be about the soul after death and things like that, which we'll get a program later. So we'll talk more about it then. But she started to understand, oh, so he's not dead, like the Jehovah Witnesses believe. They believe that when you die, that's it. And some other people who are even orthodox believe that when you die, that's it. They don't believe in the soul. That's their business. They can, they can do that if they like. If that's what they want to believe. That's up to them. But if you want to be an orthodox Christian... And you want, obviously, salvation. You have to believe that there is a soul after death. That our soul lives on. She became preoccupied, one can say, focused on his soul. Not her soul as much. His soul. She couldn't bear the fact that she had so much love for him. She couldn't bear the fact that he could be suffering in the next life because he had not prepared himself in an orthodox manner. This Pre made, this preoccupied her. She couldn't stop thinking about it. And I would say there that that is the beginning. I would say that if someone said to me, oh, they're in love, say someone said to me then, if I lived in those times, and someone said, oh, you know that lady, she was in love, they're in love with her husband, and so then I say, well, people can say that they're in love, it doesn't mean they are. However, she's starting to show things that um, she's starting to worry about his soul 
What does St. Maximus the Confessor say is the highest form of love? When you are concerned for a person's soul, that's love. Not love to give your child whatever they want and not love to help your child get into university or get a good job or for your soul. That's not, or have a big house, to get a big nice house and a swimming pool and a nice car, etc. And then max out on credit cards and make sure that you get, like, make sure you get the biggest loan possible. So when the interest rate goes up a quarter of a percent, you lose the house, like it's happening now where thousands of people have lost their houses. Why? Because they're living beyond their means. That's orthodoxy. Oh, someone's going to say, now the interest rates are orthodox. Yes, the interest rates are orthodox as well. Oh, how are they orthodox, someone's going to say. This sounds crazy. People are going to say, what's, what's going on? Why is it orthodox? Because it's greed. Greed, wanting, and teaching our children. You watch this. Daddy knows magic. <laughs> Opens up the, the, the wallet, gets the gold credit card. Watch this. Buy a new car, buy this, buy that, whatever they want. The child looks at that. Oh, that's, um, that's good magic. I like that magic. Um, can you buy me this and buy me that? Don't worry. Credit card, credit card, houses, loans, redraws, etc., etc. This is teaching the children first a madness because this is not what life's about. How many people have committed suicide because they've, they've gone so much in their loans and they commit suicide because they can't cope with the loss of everything and the embarrassment of their family, etc.? I mean, there's repentance. We've just got to say we've done wrong. Lose the house, but you don't commit suicide. But anyway, so this is what the children are learning. This is awful. Of course it is. Why? Why, is, why do we have to live in a double-storey house with five bedrooms? Why do we have to live in a house where there's a sauna? And some have got lifts now in the house, which is good if they've got disabled. That, that's okay. But really, really living as much as they can to get everything rumpus room and a games room then there's the visitors room and then there's the madness room and then there's this and there's that there's just like every single type of thing in one house those people at the end go lose their houses lose their minds can actually lose their soul therefore yeah a quarter of a percent is because the priests have to actually go and pick up the pieces a lot of times quarter of a percent when people come and say oh um the Reserve Bank just lifted up the interest. I'm going to lose my house. I can't take it. I'm going to jump off cliffs. I'm going to do this to my family. And a lot of men especially, they take it out on their family. They could start bashing their wives and start bashing their children because of the, the pressure of, the, um, of these interest rates and the loans and this and that. So I think, yes, I think it is um, orthodoxy as well. So what did she do? So, as I said, she lost all interest, no more parties, no more having fun, no more um, like going out and all these type of things. She broke all ties with her um, family. And she even broke ties with her relatives, etc. So a lot of people started thinking, well, she must be crazy or something. Now, as I said, she went to the extreme. It doesn't mean that because we're going to say someone says, I'm going to become more orthodox, that you're going to t cut off from all your family. I'm saying this person, she really had a special 
vocation, like she went for a, you know, um, a special type of life. She gave away her house, she gave away her money, she gave away all her possessions, including her beautiful dresses and jewellery that she had, because remember that she was well off, I think from her husband maybe, or from her relatives. Her, um, and her, her relatives tried to stop her. Obviously she got a pension because of her husband's death maybe and things like that. They had those in those days. And the relatives went to the military and said, you know, like, stop, we have to try and stop her. They even went to court, to a civil court, to, they took her to court to stop her selling her houses and giving the money, her house and the money away. And the judge examined her and said she's 100% um, sane. Now, this is where she starts to, some saints did do that. They, they actually do give things away. Some become monastics, etc. But she began to do something which was a little bit, bit, bit more strange. She started to wear her husband's clothes, his military uniform, red and green. She went around and always told people to call her Andrew by her husband's name. Now, let's not get mixed up with the, you know, these um, gender problems that we see on TV where some people believe that they're born, they're born male but they're really female and all these type of things. This is, she was, she didn't think she was a man. She took on pretending in a way to be her husband for a certain reason. Some of you might ask, well, what, what, are some of you interested in what's going on with those people that we saw on 60 Minutes the other couple of night, weeks ago where we see young children, very, very young children, some even one or two years old, that actually um, are completely uncomfortable in the sex that they were born and saying that they're the opposite sex. Some of you see that um, special on TV and well, it's on, it's, on, it's around. And that's the new thing which is being pushed now. Um, the answer to that, I've actually thought about that a lot. It can't be that those kids, some people say, oh, maybe the boys have that problem because they're giving dolls. No, they weren't giving dolls. Sometimes when the parents see these problems, they actually try and force them to play with soldiers and trucks and guns. And but it doesn't do anything. These people say that they're not happy and they're as young as two years old. So what is going on there? We can't say that it's a learned behaviour. So some people say, no, well, it must be that they're born that way. And the truth of the matter is, some of them were. Now, be careful. All of us are born, what the church fathers say, with the fallen nature. When Adam and Eve sinned, man took on the fallen nature. Fallen nature means that we are full of passions, evil, and we are inclined towards, you know, moving away from God, because Adam and Eve were pure, pure with God. What they did is out of their free will. It wasn't they were inclined to do evil. They chose to do evil. We, on the other hand, we also choose to do evil, but sometimes we can't help it. We're just inclined towards evil. So we are all born with this fallen nature. That's why you notice little children when they're young. I've noticed it. 
because I've dealt a lot with, with children. You see, some are, by young, just from nature, they are angry. Others are jealous. Others are malicious. Others are um, like envious, proud, vainglorious. You can't say that a lot of these kids were taught like that. They are actually born that way. Some of them are born homosexual. Some of them are born with this gender. S some learn that as they grow up because of the environment. But we cannot say, because the church believes in the fallen nature, that people aren't born that way. Now the argument is, because they're born that way, then it's okay. That's the argument now for the um, uh, same-sex marriages and all those type of things. They're saying, well, they're born that way, so it should be okay. A lot of pedophiles, which as I said last week, were allowed to speak against them. We can't speak much about the others, supposedly, but then we're still allowed because society can't stand those people. So you can call them devils, you can call them whatever you want, because that's what they, people say, they don't care, they're the worst of them all. That's what they say. But if you speak to a lot of those pedophiles, they actually will say, I, they believe they were born with that. They believe that they've got it from young. So if the argument is true that because someone's born that way, then it's okay, then why don't we be so forgiving to the pedophiles and say, well, you were born that way and that's okay, you can get a job as a teacher or a Boy Scout master or swimming pool instructor for kids, that's okay. But we don't, obviously, because we know that that's bad. Other people are born or, or from young, from very young. They like to torture, torture cats, torture this, torture that, and torture. And later on they grow up and torture people. Oh, because they were born like that, are we going to be accepting them as well? So the same thing happens. All of us, and I've heard Orthodox people say, oh, I'm, um, I'm angry from young. That's how I am. That's my passion. I'm angry from young. Yes, that's okay. Orthodoxy uh, accepts that. However, Orthodoxy goes one step further, which the secular doesn't go, which is you're born that way, you have to struggle. Or because you like something, or because we all like things which are unnatural, abnormal, evil, etc. It doesn't mean that because we are inclined that, that we're going to fulfill that desire. That doesn't mean that. So, in, in, in these cases of these young kids, yes, they, a lot of them were born like that. It's without a doubt, you can see it from one year old. Well, well, they're taught, they don't even understand language, and you can see that they've got it in them. But, as Orthodox, what do we do? Well, what does the church teach? What's coming up soon next year, for example, um, in um, Lent, in, in, in the Lenten period? A struggle with our passions. All of us have passions. All of us are born with passions. Others we've acquired as time went on but we're all born with evil in us. And the struggle, this is what orthodoxy means, to struggle against our passions, whether they're abnormal things, whether they're those other things that we're talking about. It could be anything. People that come and confess, they, you know, they, they can say things which, which um, one can say, well, it's quite abnormal, 
but that doesn't shock me because we are all born with the, in the, within, with the fallen nature. And the job of the priest is to tell this person to struggle. If your child does turn out to have certain these things, which you should start, not only if they've got the, these gender disorder problems or if they've got um, the gay things and all these type of things, it doesn't mean we only look out for that with our binoculars. We look out for everything, for all passions. Is the child has a tendency to greed, you must teach the child, you must pray for the child, you must help the child to get over the passion, jealousy, envy. How many times you see some kids just by nature? You might show um, attention to one child and then the other child runs and bowls him over and knocks him over and kicks him in the head and you say, what's going on? He's only two years old. What does he know about jealousy? That's jealousy. Oh, some people go, he's jealous. Isn't that cute? It's cute, is it? Well, when that child grows up, and he becomes out of control, then you'll understand that that's not cute. These are um, passions which all of us have. So don't get mixed up and just focus on whether some the the the, the same um, what do you call it, the gay thing or the same gender or the other disorders that exist. That's just some of them. People, oh, but they're the worst sins. No, they're not the worst sins actually. I'll tell you what the worst sin is. The worst sin for an orthodox person is unrepentance for a sin. That's the worst sin. Are we unrepentant that we did not sacrifice for our husband or wife? Are we unrepentant? Do we feel no sorrow for that? That is what it means by blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It means that we are not allowing God to give us the grace so that we can repent over that sin. And let's stop thinking like Pharisees and he's doing that and she's doing that and that person's doing that and this and that. The sins are in us. We all have unnatural things if we all examine ourselves and that's what we should look at. So, she began to go all over the city. She didn't, she, didn't, she didn't live anywhere. She began to become like a wanderer. Hungry a lot of times. She went around and helped the poor as much as she could. Any money she did get, she would give to the poor. She wouldn't take any money, but she might have taken a few pennies, one could say, a few cents in those days, what we say. And, that, and she would then give that to the poor. She wouldn't dress properly. So, especially in Petersburg, you people that are Russian would know uh, it's freezing. Shoes without stockings, shoes with holes in them and things like that. One can say, well, how does she endure? Well, this is the, this is the miracle, that she had something which is called grace, which helped her to endure. And some people will say, oh, I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that because I've never seen it. Go to the hospitals and see some people there that have got... Oh, some cancers and some other problems, really bad diseases. And they're in the, in the most horrible pain. And yet you see a serenity on them. And you see an, a, a, on them a, a, a grace that they have to endure that, where even some of the nurses will say, like, I don't even know how that person remains so calm. Some people that are orthodox say, I don't want too much painkiller because it's going to make me be drowsy and I want to be conscious. I don't want to be unconscious. 
I want to be conscious of my death. I want to be conscious of my sins. And they try to reduce. Sometimes they try and pump them a lot because some people go hysterical when they're in that pain. But you go there and see Christians that are there that are in June. That's another example. It's not just St. Xenia. It's all of us. All of us can um, uh, come to situations where, with God's grace, we can get through very difficult situations, pain, etc. So she used to go every night. She used to go out into the field, into a field that was near the city of Petersburg, and there she would pray all night. She would pray for who? Her husband. Like a lot of parents, you know, sometimes something's wrong with their child. They've never prayed in their life, but they begin to pray for their child. And actually, which is God's providence, through praying for their child, because they love their child, obviously, they learn to pray for themselves and they learn to pray for others. She, at first, was praying just for her husband. That's all she cared about. Her husband's soul. Her husband, her husband. Not even for herself. But then slowly, slowly, through that prayer, like a lot of, as I said, a lot of people who could be even praying for themselves might have a sickness and suddenly they start to pray. And then suddenly, as they're, sorry, slowly, slowly, as they're praying for themselves, might have a disease or something or a, or a financial problem or whatever thing, they start to pray then they begin to learn to pray for others. She, after she was praying for her husband, slowly, slowly she began to pray for others and others and others to the point that she started to pray for the whole world. She prayed for the whole world. As I said before, when she used to give the money to the, um, to the poor... The reason why she gave the money to the poor is she wanted to give the money to the poor in her husband's name. And that's something that we're going to do next year. That if you want to help the, your, someone that's died in your family, a relative, a mother, a father, grandfather, a brother, sister, a child or whatever, one of the biggest ways to help the, the soul of the departed person is to give money to the poor that is really powerful the most powerful is to commemorate their name in the liturgy with your prayers and with money to the poor there's been cases where people were suffering so much in the afterlife whereby they were released quite considerably from the love of the people that are left behind i remember a a lay preacher in Greece, I heard some tapes of his years ago, and he said sometimes it's better for people to die because they'll get more help in the next life than what they would here. I know it sounds very, very strange, but here's an example. He died abruptly, but yet the amount of help that he got, I don't think he could have done if he was alive for himself. Now, some people say, but isn't the church teach that you must be repentant before you die, etc.? Yes, that is true. It depends on how hostile you are towards God. That's what counts. We all sin, and we can die, to, you know, we can die. We can confess one minute and sin a million sins in the next minute. We all got sins. 
And a lot of times we could die, obviously, with many sins. However, it's who we leave behind to pray for us which benefits us. And even though it's strange this here that he did die quite up, but we don't know, he might have been ignorant, he just might have been slack, he might have been, because um, they were young, a lot of times young people just don't think of the, the, the next life. Um, that's, that, that's in the Psalms where, as we read also in the service, that from my youth and people, from my youth do many passions war against me. So people, young people are more inclined to stupidities and we don't understand God's providence. We say, oh, well, why did that 15-year-old die and why did that 18-year-old die and that 21 and he didn't have life ahead? Those things, we look at it in a lot, in a, in, with our stupid brains. But that doesn't mean that that's the way how God looks at it. And look at here, there's also, it says in the life, that a person who became a great elder in Russia, who they say that St. Senya would go and visit, I think it's St. Theodore, I'm not sure. Sorry, Elder Theodore, I can't remember the name, but that's not important at this time. But they say that he was present at a party and that someone at that party died abruptly and that he was so terrorised and shocked by that that he went and became a monk in a monastery and the story goes that that person who died was the husband of Saint Xenia. So from the death of this army officer, Andrew, two things happened. One for sure we know that we got one of the greatest saints in the Russian Orthodox Church and all the world. That's one. Two, the possibility if that's true, that that person who was also, I think, uh, at the party saw that and repented or changed and became a monk and became a, an elder in, in, the, in, the, in Russia. And three, the soul of this person cannot be left. Even if he went to hell, one can say, it is really, really difficult that the love, the good deeds that that woman done for him will be ignored by God. This is how, as I said, it's different a person who dies, who to their last breath curses God and says, I'm an unbeliever, etc., etc. They are enemies of God. But there are others who are not hostile towards God, but they just don't lead a spiritual life for whatever reason. I think that's what he was. And as a result of his death, which some would say, oh, the young man and he could have become a general in the army, and he had his whole life, and they didn't even have children, and, 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 we can go on all day, which is how people speak. And when you go to funerals today, there's all these emotional talks that occur where people are speaking about that. And though he was taken young, and she was taken this, and um, she, didn't, she didn't finish her degree, like the, say a student died and she was, you know, she was going to become a teacher, or he's going to become a doctor, I mean, big deal. Why, why is that important? Why is it important? You know why it's important for some people? Because they believe that this life is the life. This life is like, say you get a drop and you go down to the beach in the ocean 
and you drop and put the the um the drop there compared to the ocean what's that drop it's gone it's it's, it's nothing and that's the same as our life our life in eternity is like a drop it's so small it's so minute that you just so insignificant one can say that little part of our life that's whether we live 120 years or 110 some of course are, you know they're frozen now in these big barrels and they're waiting for some type of technology to occur that one day when technology gets really quick they're going to come back to life well i think that they'll be waiting a very long time in those barrels must be very cold in there but for us the the soul goes to god or goes to hell or whatever but it will be forever this life is nothing therefore whether we get our doctor's degree or whether our children becomes whether we get a big house whether we become high up in a big company we become rich, etc., etc. That poor man, that man with the phones, um, you know, like he, uh, I think it was Turkish man, John, and um, he had everything going for him. And the and the ironic thing was that just before he died, they had filmed. Well, it was a few months ago, but then they finally played it for the TV. Just before he died, no one was going to die. They were having a special on current affairs or today, tonight, whatever, whereby they were going for his life of how successful he became and his phones and he's a millionaire, like that. Just died abruptly. I'm not putting the man down, I'm just saying as an example. Because a lot of people were watching there the TV and go, oh, look at him, he's so lucky. And look at his house. And look at, he's got nice children, he's got a nice wife. And oh, look at that pool and that waterfall and all these things that people um, would notice. As I said, I'm not putting the man down, I'm putting ourselves down. Because when we see a lot of those things, we become jealous and envious. And we say, oh, I wish I can have that. But he's gone. Abruptly. And I'm not here to judge his soul. That's none of my business. I'm here for you people, because you're in front of me. God's brought you here tonight. I'm responsible for you people, and I've got to say what I have to say for you and for myself, obviously, because I'm listening at the same time. Don't, and you know, those type of funerals, you've got to avoid those funerals, and don't take kids to those funerals. They're not good, those emotional funerals and playing worldly songs there and all these emotional things. I think they even do it in some Orthodox churches now. And, you know, and just someone comes up that has no idea of anything and says, oh, you know, and she was so sweet, and she wrote poetry, and she did this. Oh, that's all nice, and this. But people get confused. Our life here, as I said, is just a drop in the ocean. If we understand that, then if our child dies tomorrow, yes, it's sad. Yes, we will miss them until we meet again in the next life. However, it's not an occasion to pull our hair out and jump into graves and jump over coffins, etc. You know, it is upsetting, yes, because you just lost someone. It's like when you go to the airport, people are crying. Oh, what are you crying for? Um, my husband's going overseas for two weeks. That's okay. That's that's normal. She's, she's not going to see her husband for two weeks. Obviously, she loves him. But and this is 
yeah, we, we might not see the next person. My mum my, my passed away in 1993. What's that? Six, 15 years ago. Yes, it's sad. Yes, but we still communicate with them through our prayers, through almsgiving that we do for their souls. And that's what she did. She felt in her heart the presence of her husband. We are communicating. We are communing, one can say, with our dead ones. Not the way we've said it. We've said it a number of times on TV where they show those people that speak and think that the dead is speaking to them. That's not an orthodox teaching, which we'll go about more that next year. So she knew that she could help her husband through those good deeds, through the prayers, and obviously I'm adding to that the, the liturgies. So through all these things, she became holy. Once I met a woman and she said to me, um, she was quite a pious woman, and um, I said, oh, you know, how long have you been going to church for? She goes, well, what happened was when my son was very young, he was like possessed, he had some problems, and every time he would go near icons, he would react and do that. Some people are like that. And she goes, I just went everywhere. I went to Greece, I went uh, to different monasteries, I asked different elders to pray, and I made some you know, priests to do exorcisms, and, 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 and. And through that, and through that, she herself became a very religious person, a very pious person. And sometimes through those things their children can get better or their husbands or wives or relatives, sometimes they may not get better. That depends on whether God thinks that that person is, it is better for them to get better. Sometimes it's better not. But I'm, I commemorated my, my mother, for example, that died of a horrible disease, the motor neuron disease. I commemorated her for, years in, for a couple of years when she got it, every day. She didn't get better. She didn't get better. Because God didn't think it was necessary for her to get to get better. What she died around sixty nine to get better. What to live another ten years? What's it matter if she lives another ten years? What so I can have her there? No. God knows exactly when is the right time for people to depart. And this is the most important thing. God, if we look at um. The universe, even the atheists, marvel and say, just the way that the, the stars and the moon and the planets, and it's just so perfect. And they've got just the mathematics which pours out of it, the physics which pour out of it, and life and cells, symmetrical, and all these things which are all, you know, like the more they go into it, the more they say, there's still more to go. There's still more, and it's so perfect. So if God can control where Jupiter goes and where this goes and where that and everything in this world everything in this world in the universe one can say well can't he control our lives our everyday lives can't he control when is the right time for us to die or whether a disaster should occur or whatever we think in worldly ways or why does this happen or why does that happen well we can't even work out the cell the basic living thing, the cell. We can't, we get in there and they get in there and get in there and then as they go and go, they go, oh, we've worked out everything, pop, something else happens. They go, oh no, there's more behind it and there's more behind it and there's more behind it. It just doesn't stop. And that's on purpose that God allows that to happen so that we can use that as a way of saying just like we can't work out the things that are on earth, just like we can't work out worldly things, material things, 
living things, chemicals, atoms, and all those type of things, just like we can't work out that, there's no way we can understand fully the providence of God. For example, in this case, this young man died. We don't understand at the time people would have been their parents, this that. but look what happened. From that, we receive a great and holy saint. When she would walk in the streets, because people didn't know what she was as yet, they would, people would make fun of her. They thought she was dirty. Young, young children would throw dirt at her, laugh at her, because she was strange. She, in return, would pray for them. Now, can we say that's easy? I think that's really hard. Why? Because it's one of the greatest virtues is to love your enemy. And we see people say, I love all my enemies and I love this. And I, I, like I really think that either the person just came back from Luna Park or they're just on something or something's going on to say so easily, I love everyone. And it's the same with people that are in the church. They can say, I love everyone and I pray for the world. And I, you know, when someone tells me something, I, uh, and I've heard people say this to me, that when people tell me something, it doesn't bother me at all. So I wait for the opportunity when they're not ready, because sometimes people can get ready, you know, they just get ready, and when you tell them, they go, I love you. <laughs> because they're ready, they're, they're actually psychologically ready. You've got to get them off guard. One good one is you just ignore them. Just ignore them, you know, and that bothers them. Can bother or bothers all of us. So, you know, to say, oh, she loved those that threw the things at her and this and that. It's not. I mean, look at all the neighbour disputes that we that that we see. Oh, I'm not talking to my neighbour. Why? He wants a red fence. I want a cream fence. I can't stand him. I hate him. So, and this comes from Orthodox Christians too. So we are really, really need to say, for us to acquire the virtue of loving our enemy takes a lot of work, a lot of sweat. It takes a lot. See, I believe orthodoxy is practical. I believe orthodoxy is in everything. And that's why I mention these things. And I will mention more. Until we get it in our heads that not orthodoxy is on Sunday and not orthodoxy just because we stand in front of our icons and orthodoxy is not when we just go to communion and when we just confess, etc. But orthodoxy is in everything. Once we understand that, then we're orthodox because we start to realise it's in every part of our life. We all do it. We separate our life to our spiritual life. So this is spiritual life when we do prayers. And this is our everyday life where we can do whatever we want. And the two rarely come together because when we do we realise we're Pharisees or we're really, really nuts. The two don't come together. In a lot of, the majority of Orthodox people today, the two are separate. 
orthodox life, which is, as I said, prayers and all that type of things, and our everyday life. Saint Xenia, she began to live her orthodoxy in every part of her life. So, people began to notice something strange about her, or strange things about her. Before they would say, or they thought that she was crazy, she was out of it, she was um, mental, whatever they thought. But they started to notice certain things. I'm going to go through, there's about seven of them. One, they noticed that when she would hold a crying baby, for example, in her arms, that at once the baby would calm down and remain calm the rest of the, all day. And people, women, some of you have had children, know how horrible it is. It's very difficult when the baby just sometimes just cries. And, and in the case of that woman, obviously we know why it was crying. But most children could be just crying and crying and crying because they could be unsettled. Little things like um, the child's bedtime might be a baby, 8 a.m., 8 p.m., whatever. But then you too busy or to put it to bed and you put it to bed at 9 o'clock. By that time, it's, it's become excited, it's become too tired and it becomes like um, it can't calm down. That happens to us. We, if we don't sleep at the right time and, we're, and we start to get tired, sometimes even though we're tired, there's something keeping us up. Something is keeping us up to keep on going, going, going. That's why a lot of people stay on the internet all night or things like that, which has become a catastrophe. We can go on that another time. But it's the same thing. So with the child, in that case, yeah, that is special. I've spoken to him and the guy just was last night, the baby was crying all night. That's why it's hard for women when they've got, when they're having newborn babies. It is a martyrdom. It is very, very difficult. They need a lot of support. You just don't have children and then just say, well, that's it. Like some men, they just have the child and that's the end of it. And they think that's, that's, that, that's it. My job's done. Any store that she would enter in on that day would have fantastic business. So the store owners really, really hoped that she would walk into their stores. Number three, cab drivers, horse and cart obviously in those days, would ask her, just, you know, come, come, you know, Matushka, come inside, come and sit in the taxi and they just take her, even just down the street. That's all they wanted. Then they would have full-on business all day. Number four, um, merchants in the bazaar, if they were selling food, some would sell other type of things like jugs or whatever, it doesn't matter what they did. They tried to give her something, either a, one, some, some of their food that they were selling, like a, a vegetable, another person would give, say, anything, anything they could give. If they gave it to her, they knew that that day would be excellent business. Now, some of you might say, oh, it's all like um, good luck charm and things like that and it doesn't sound um, correct. No, it's what's called God's blessing. And some of us, we forget God's blessing in our everyday life and we go and undertake really big things. Like I've seen people go to have their babies, for example, and don't even ask any prayers or ask God for any help in the biggest, biggest thing in their life, which is to have a baby or going to get a job or going to school or doing anything. We always have to pray and ask for God's uh, blessing. And some of you find that's a bit strange. And it's true. 
when a priest goes and does a holy water at someone's house or at someone's shop or whatever. People do, they go, oh, so we're going to use the priests for our benefit. In some ways, the church, if you, look, if you read the prayer book of the priest, there's prayers in there for hives, honey hives. There's prayers in there for cows, for vines, for uh, there's even prayers in there for a new boat. There's prayers in there for, you know, like for a fire engine. There's prayers for this, there's prayers for that. That's what the church, in the old days, as Father Seraphim Rose said in his tape when I was coming here, he actually said that in Russia, for example, everything was orthodox. The, every, the everyday life was orthodox. Here, in Australia or in America, it's not. We're separated, we're kind of different. We don't want our neighbours to see the priest going around our house with some basil and sprinkle in our house because it's embarrassing. So we'd rather be embarrassed just in case um, the next door neighbour sees the priest coming rather than receive blessings. So the church does have blessings for everything. For sick animals, for sick cows, for example, and as I said, for diseases of plants and when a lot of the villages in the old days, in Greece as well, my mother told me they said that... Um, in her village for a while there was no rain. There was a really, really bad drought. And she said she was young, but she remembers it. She must have been a teenager. And she goes that they, the priest came and the people of the village came, went up to um, one of the chapels there, they prayed and it rained. You know, and things like that. It was part of their everyday life. We don't have it part of our life. There are people, there are Christians that I know, who do have it as part of their life. Everything that they do they ask prayers from um, uh, their spiritual father or their, or the, to, be, to be commemorated for, or for their undertakings, whether it's business or having a child to make sure God blesses everything that goes well with the pregnancy, nine months. There's prayers, there's special prayers. I mean, that's part of life. That's what we should be doing. We should have that as part of our life. Everything should be um, with blessings and prayers. I remember when I went to um, the hospital for my sister. She wasn't not a very, she was not much in the church, but she, she said, well, why don't you come? And um, I came. And I remember that she was screaming, obviously. Anyway, so the, the nurse said that, oh, yeah, she'll be a while. She'll be about another three hours. Anyway, so I said, look, I'll read you the prayer because there's a special prayer for that. Not me, I'm not trying to say anything about myself. This is the prayers of the church. I read her the prayer for a woman in childbirth, that's it. So, I read the prayer. After I finished the prayer, she gave out this very big scream. She just screamed very loud. And then all these doctors and nurses ran, and they ran into the room, and they shut the door. I had a feeling what it was. And within a couple of minutes, the baby was crying. So she gave birth. And someone said, oh, that's scientific, that can be proven. I don't know how you can prove it. I'm telling you that I think that it's the prayers. If you want to go into some scientific thing, go to the University of Sydney, meet, go find some professor down there, maybe they can work it out, bring me the data, and we could, we could talk about it. But for the time being, um, that's that, and sick people, etc., etc. The prayers are strong in the church. And all priests, if you speak to them, they will tell you example after example after example. Even the person that I said to you a while ago, he said that there were strange things happening in the house. 
Sometimes it happens. You don't know what happened there in the past. Might have been a murder at that house. You don't know what was happening at that house. And they say that when some big sin happens or some big crime happens, sometimes the demons just lurk around. And they're just the houses like they say, like haunted. And people, um, something was wrong with that house anyway, his house. And he would have things moving and he would hear things and this and that. And I said, and he said to me, what should I do? He wasn't a very religious person. I said to him, look, just get a priest, get the local Greek priest there, because he was Greek. I said, get the local Greek priest, come and do a holy water service. And they, I didn't even know he did it. I forgot. I thought he wouldn't even do it, because some people, sometimes you tell people things, but they don't do it. Anyway, and I said to him a while back, I had a go with uh, your house, and it still goes, oh, when the priest came, it all stopped. He didn't go to a magician. He went to the priest all over. So, but once you, if you do go, as we've said before, to a magician, to a sorcerer, to a card reader, whatever, you basically uh, bind yourself tight and it's very hard then to get rid of those things. It takes a lot of work. It was considered a great blessing for her to walk into their home. Uh, mothers rejoiced if she kissed their children, believing that this would bring health and happiness to them. Her words, which at first seemed silly later on, were shown to be significant and many times clairvoyant. She would warn people of approaching disasters. She even, for the royal family, ordinary people, etc. The icon that, uh, that I gave you uh, during the service, you'll notice on the icon that, there's a, that she's in a cemetery. The significance of that, apart that she's buried in that cemetery, which is called the Smolensk Cemetery, in 1794 the city was building a chapel, like the Russians have a, a chapel in Rukwood. There was a little Russian chapel there for the, mem for the memorial of the dead. You know, everyone's got those, I think, I think Greeks have got, oh yeah, they've got one there, Rukwood, a big, nice big church there, especially for commemoration of the dead. I think they do services there every Saturday. And um, they, were, they were building that with bricks. Every time the builders would come in the morning, they would notice that, you know, if you've seen things being built, and if you've done a bit of bricklaying, that you've got to get the bricks from the ground up the top so the bricklayers can start, you know, putting them on. So the wall was pretty high. And every morning they would notice that someone had taken a lot of the bricks up, on, up the scaffold and put them up the top there ready for the bricklayers. And that's a lot of the work. A lot of the work is that. Not, the laying the bricks is, is hard too, but taking the bricks from down there and up there is a lot of work. And um, two men decided, this is happening a lot, let's see what's happening, why are these bricks there every day? They didn't know who was doing it. So they hid in the cemetery to see who was doing that. So they waited and waited and waited, and all of a sudden, as I used to call her in those days, who came? Crazy Xenia, as I used to call her. And she was there and they watched her all night, even as she was four, uh, 65 years old. They were, if around about that, 65, 70, they saw her carting the bricks up the scaffold and putting all the bricks up the top herself, even though that she was old. Why did she do that for? This is what I really, that's why you, when you read the lives of saints, how much you learn, because she felt sorry for the workmen because of the hard work that has to be done. Plus it's a chapel, but the hard work that has to be done to carry those bricks up. So she 
would take the bricks up to alleviate their work, sacrifice, love. That is very, very, very moving example that she actually did that and that's what we should do. Sacrifice. All of us have to learn to sacrifice. Not this selfishness that we all suffer from because of our fallen nature and especially because we're brought up in a Western society like Australia or America or whatever whereby that's basically the basis selfishness. In the in the you know in Greece in the old days in Russia it was wasn't didn't have that everyone worked together it was a different thing of this selfishness did not exist to the extent it does now and as we're brought up in that selfishness then we get married and people go well when I get married I'm not going to be selfish anymore but the problem is it it it's there it's a passion it's strong and in point of actual fact that's where it comes out more that's why a lot of women. And men, you see them and they, um, parents say, oh, my daughter's working in an office, she's got a very good position, very good, she's a boss, she's this, she's that. Or the, or the son, my son is a, an engineer, or he's this, he's that, and he works and he's really, 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 really good. So one would say, well, they must be good. So they get married. And all of a sudden, the woman can't cook, or the husband can't even cut the grass or he can't even fix a door, or he can't do this, or he can't put things away, and all these things. Dishes piling up. I remember this person who got married, and um, they went on a honeymoon, and he said to me, um, on the second day I noticed that this, this, all these plates were there. And he said to himself, you know, this is it. And I go, well, why should the woman do it? Some will say that as well. Why should the woman do it? I'm not going to go into that, because I, I do want to go into that, next year to speak about roles and things like that but one thing I will say women have, lot, have won a lot due to the um, especially after we said the sexual revolution and the feminist revolution they've won a lot equal pay a lot of times they, now they can work in corporate they can work on TV where they couldn't work before they can work on the radio they can you know they're just so a lot of things that they've won they've won one can say they've won so much and lost everything. They've lost everything. Why? Because even though they've got all that, if they really tell you the truth, they will say that they're not happy and that their mums, who were a lot of them just stay-at-home people, were better. And that's why there's a big movement now of women that are saying, I'm sick and tired. Like, by nature, a woman takes care of her children for the first couple of years. It's by nature. The child doesn't want the father in point of fact. It wants the mother. It is attached to the mother for quite a few years in the beginning. Maybe even five years, six years. And the woman is the main purpose person in the upbringing of children. And these women are saying, I missed out on my children. They're saying... I missed out on the upbringing, yes, I got a good job, yes, this and that. And a lot of them started to say, sick and tired of it. Even though their husbands are supposed to help, but how much can they help? Can they breastfeed? Can the husbands breastfeed? Can the husbands do a lot of the things that, that the baby wants? And the children as they're growing up, one and two years old? So the woman works full time and comes home 
and then has to do everything else there to do with the children, especially in the first few years. And that's why women are just burnt out and they lost a lot. So yes, they won and they lost. Some of you might get offended and I will go into that into more detail. Some of you say, well, I'm a career woman, this and that. And um, some might say, are you telling us to leave our careers? I'm not telling anyone to leave their career. I'm telling you what the church says, which is that the, it is very important for a woman, the husband, a woman, in the upbringing of children. And I will say, in a shocking way, that might upset some of you, but I will say it, and I want it to shock you, I want it to upset some of you on purpose, a lot of problems today are stemming from the fact that the children do not have their mothers from young with them, and that has caused a lot of emotional, psychological problems, problems that did not exist to this extent before. And if you want to think I'm generalising, etc., well, later on we will read from the lives of saints and the Holy Fathers, like St John Chrysostom and, and many other Holy Fathers, who will tell us in detail all about that. i tell you the secret. The secret is, as I read the other night in a, a fantastic book, the book I'm going to get you, it says, if a person's not going to bring up children in a Christian way, don't have children. See, some priests say, childbearing, childbearing, you must get saved through, through childbearing. And in Greece, for example, some priests are really into that and say you must have a lot of children. But St John Chrysostom, St Paul and all the rest, they don't say that a woman is saved just from having the children. Nor does it say that the purpose is to have the children and take care of them in a way, give them food, drink, clothing, this and that. No. The purpose of having children is to bring them up in Christ, to join them to Christ, to make them holy. And, it's, and it actually says, if you don't have that as your aim, then stay, you can get married, because the purpose of marriage, as we said last week, the main purpose is to avoid fornication, not to have children. The actual church teaches that the main purpose of marriage is for people who can't hold themselves to be able to have their husband or their wives to indulge in, that, in, the, in, in the sexual thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the purpose. Because outside of the marriage, all sex is a sin. So that's okay. I've actually even advised, even though people are going to be shocked, they're going to, I've advised people to say, because you can see they're so selfish, and say, you want to get married? Get married. Don't have kids. Don't bring children into the world. Because as St John Chrysostom says, that if you do not bring up your children in Christ, you're a murderer because you're murdering their souls. Now, it's harsh. Don't blame me. That's what it is. That's the purpose of, of um, bringing up children. You want to have children? Good. Bring them up as Christians. If you're working, it's just very hard to be working full time and to do that. Some women have to work as financial reasons. There's a lot of other reasons. I'm not going into every single scenario. In general, that's the way. So she lived 45 years after the death of her husband. And um, 
Where she, where, when and where she died, no one knows. I was said around 1800. That was about 71 years old. She was buried in the Smolensk Cemetery, which was near the chapel that she helped build. That's where she was buried. And um, by the 1820s, around 20 years or more that after she died, people began to gather at her grave, asking for her help. They asked asking her to intercede to God. They began to realise that this woman was, you know, a great saint. And you say, well, didn't they know that when she was alive? Yes or no, you know, it's very hard. A lot of times it really shows when the person's passed away. Remember, a prophet's not really accepted in his own house. Sometimes people, there could be a saint right in, in the midst of the verse, and people don't even know because people have another version of a saint. They think of a saint as being with bright bright, like they work and there's all this light comes off them. When they walk, they walk in the air halfway. And they've got all these wrong Catholic type of um, views of what a saint is. You know, some think they just fly and things like that. But that's not what a saint is. A saint is an ordinary person living in the world, but that has humility. Sometimes the humility is so great that they're looked at as being insignificant. See, a humble person is not a person that likes to have attention or likes to show off or things like that. A humble person is, can, can be so humble, as we say, that they don't even, people don't even notice them. And that's why a lot of times saints go unnoticed. In this case, they did see things, as we said, but it wasn't as if millions of people were after her because obviously it took around you know, 20 years for, her, for people more to come to her grave. So... People, it became a custom for, for, for a blessing to take sand from her grave. And every so often they have to put more sand there. And then, then the people take more sand. Like when they go to Jerusalem, people take um, sand from the holy place. It's just like for them it's like a blessing. Then they decided to put a, a, grave, a grave tomb on top, a stone, a marble stone, and people started chipping that away. And then that went away and they put another one on. So that, that became a tradition where people would take parts of her grave believing that through that they would get blessings. That's, that's faith. What kind of things did they come for? They came for sicknesses. They came to find a spouse, they, to, you know, to find someone to get married. Very important. But, of course, today's modern, modern way is I'm going to marry who I want and I'm going to choose who I want and I know what I want and, 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 and. But the problem is that 50-60% divorce shows that that's not really working very well. If it was working very well, then why were so many divorces? You don't even know who you marry. God knows who to, who, who's good for you. Oh, does that mean God's going to force us to marry someone? No. But God can bring the person who is for you. And this is where there's a whole book written by St. John Chrysostom on how to choose a spouse or on marriage, and there's a section on how to choose a spouse. I will also read that to you next year. God knows who's for us. And, and you might say, oh, but he might not know who's good for me. Well, that's ridiculous because it's not, you see, we think that it's a forcing thing, like it's some type of um, medieval type of thing where the person's being forced. When, a, when God brings someone, those people fall in love. They're not, it's not like... Um, this is for you, you've got to marry that, but it's not like that. But we'll go on to that more next, next, another time. So, 
finding spouse, marital problems, children, for students and their studies, finding a job, finding a house. These are the type of things that people came for. And that's good. That's good because that's teaching people to use the church for their everyday life. And that's why in those prayers that I read today, I went through that whole list of everything that, that, that's imaginable there. Those that are kidnapped, those that are held captives, those in jail, those who are dying, those who are grieving because someone's died, those who are blind, those who are paralysed. These are the things the church prays for every single day. I'm sure a lot of you heard all that. It shows how the church is involved in everything and prays for everyone, not just Sundays where we come and light a candle. That's not, that's not what the church is about. The church sanctifies the whole world. In 1902, about 100 years after she had died, 100 years, mind you, they finally decided to make a chapel over her grave. And pilgrims from all over Russia continued to visit her grave asking for her help. Very important here. Because she wasn't canonised a saint as yet, it was forbidden for a priest to go and do a maleben like we did today, a paraklesis. When they're canonised, then the church can officially do those prayers. When the, when the person has not been canonised, like St John, Archbishop of Shanghai, St. Francisco, a lot of people, before he was canonised, were praying to him as to a saint. Some people had his portrait, some people they even made icons. But officially he was not a saint, so therefore priests could not commemorate him in the service as a saint. The only thing that a priest can do is to do a memorial prayer, a panahida for the soul of that person. Like now, Father Seraphim Rose in America, he will for sure become a saint. But yet they cannot do malebans. They can only do, some people went there recently, a panahida, as we call it, for him at his grave. But why are we praying he was a saint? That's the way the church does. But what happens is, when we pray for someone for the forgiveness of their sins and for their repose of their souls, like we do, because he wouldn't pray for St. Xenia's repose. She's already a saint. Well, she is officially a saint. We prayed for her to help us. In the memorial prayer, we're actually, the priest is praying for the forgiveness of the sins of the person and this and that. And what happens is, if that person has become a saint, those prayers done for that person return back on you. And that's why the people would go there when, before St. John was canonised, I went to you know, San Francisco, went to where his grave was, his tomb, down the, under the church, and I asked for a memorial prayer. Memorial. So the priest did a memorial prayer. Why? Because St. John has need of praise. He's, he's with God. But the point is, that's how officially the priest has to do it. And I did that prayer for him so he can help me in return. And that's what's happened with St. Xenia. The priest would go there and would do memorial prayers for her, and that in return would come back on the person. You could be commemorating your father, your mother, your brother, your child, etc. And if those people have, have become uh, are saved, in other words, they are with God, then your prayers that you are doing for them come back on you. The others who have need of prayers help them. Those who don't have, one can say, because they're, they're, they've been saved, then it um, goes back on us. So, 
What happened? Ah, yes. And then uh, communism came to Russia. The communists came, and they didn't like, as you know, they were godless. They believed that religion made people sick, and in some ways they were correct. So that's a shock comment. And it's true. Religion can make people sick if they do it the wrong way. And in Russia, uh, people had, they had gone very, very worldly. And even in the churches and deacons and this, it was just, they were all more just opera and nice, etc., etc. And it is for this reason which the, uh, we believe, the Russian church believes, that God allowed communism to come as a, because of the sins that people had apostatized from God. That yes, there was churches, there was monasteries, etc., but there was only pockets of proper orthodox spiritual life. People had lost it a lot. And, you know, like for example, the iconic, you know, iconoclasts in the ninth century, the eighth century, when icons were being persecuted, the emperors in those days, they said no one's allowed to venerate icons. Anyone that venerated icons, especially the monks and the nuns, they were tortured, they were exiled. It became like, and that heresy lasted for, you know, there was a, there was a little respite in the middle, but it lasted about a hundred and something years, 110 years or something like that. That with these controversy with the icons. That was with God's permission as a result of the people of that time venerated icons in the wrong way. They kind of started to treat the icons like gods, not the way that was proper. People had lost them. They would chip things off and then they would eat part of the icons and there was all these strange and superstitious things that were happening in Byzantine Constantinople. And God allowed that to happen so that through the persecutions, the church would be cleansed and come to a proper belief in what is the icon. And after that, it was defined that the honour we show to the icon goes to the person that is on the icon. And things like that. We're not actually counting the wood as holy or the paint as it's the image of the icon and saint john damascene and saint um oh, saint theodore the student and all them they started to write things of the correct theology of the icons in russia the same thing people had gone off they didn't understand what orthodoxy was and through those horrible persecutions russia was cleansed and became as it is now a very very spiritual country with monasteries and people that are very, very holy because they had to struggle and restructure them, their minds and their mentality and their spirits of what is orthodoxy because it had gone wrong. The same here. A lot of people, they're not, all of us, we're not really leading proper orthodox life and that's why God allows all these sicknesses and catastrophes and all that so that we can come back to the correct spiritual life. Um, so anyway, so religion can make you sick if it's in the wrong way. That's correct. So they were right in some ways, but wrong in the other. But it doesn't matter anyway. The communists were only God's tools. That was God's tool to bring the people back to the truth of orthodoxy. And that's many of the saints wrote that, by the way. Many... Um, 
So what they did is they shut the chapel. They didn't want people to come and, and pray. And the people would come and put little pieces of paper and notes in the cracks of the wall or even take chips from the cracks of the wall and pray there to the saint. And then the communists then put a big 10-foot fence around and people still came and came at the fence and still tried to put notes in and put flowers, etc., etc. They couldn't stop it. Now, one could say, well, why didn't they just knock the chapel down? Yeah, that's possible if God allows them. Other, other churches, they bombed. Some they bombed. They bombed the one that they just, that we had the union in, the Christ of the... Christ the Saviour, I think the, the big cathedral there, they completely dynamited that one, but that's God, God's permission. Others, they didn't. This is one, they just did not do anything to it. They put the fence around. Anyway, when communism fell, obviously that, and the church, the Russian Orthodox Church, canonised St. Xen in 1978. The Moscow Patriot canonised her in, I think, 1988. We went together then. Her feast day is commemorated on January the 24th, which is next month, oh, with, with the calendar, with the church calendar. That's it. I was going to read some miracles, but um, we've gone over, so I'm just going to take a few questions. Um, I think you've got the, the main thing. She, she was able to prophesy. She knew the future, those type of things. She foresaw the death of the Empress in 1761. She saved the house that was burning. Um, I love this one here where it says that um, uh, she was at a house and then there was a mother and daughter living there. The girl was 17 years old. Saint Senya really loved this girl. She was very meek and quiet. And, and kind of heart. Um, of course, those virtues are really alien because girls today don't like meek and quiet. You've got to be outgoing. You've got to be really social. And a lot of girls and boys that by nature are quiet, they feel that they have to be uh, social, be the way that the world thinks you have to be, or what you see on TV, which a lot of it is stupidities, and it forces a lot of the teenagers to do things which they don't want to do. And at the end, they get become all mixed up. And then you, then you realise why they've got to drink and take drugs and that, because they actually... I've dealt with a lot of people that went through that and they actually don't even know who they are. They go out there and I don't even know who I am. Because they had to make up things, especially in co-ed schools where, you know, it's this, this thing between the girls and the boys. You've got to like, make sure you've got to act cool and act this and act that makes me sick and have five and hang five. I don't know what they say. Just I've been out of contact. I used to teach. But, um, you know, all these type of things and wearing things and how you speak to boys and how you speak to girls and how you do this and that, they become quite disturbed. And that we need to go into more detail where I want to talk about teenagers and this and that where it is really a sad and sad and painful thing what kids are going through today because of that. Like, you know, we have to, they have to do because that's what is socially accepted. Like for a girl today, she has to not be a virgin or she has to be really, as I said, you know, beautiful and this and that. And then it goes on with the makes up and it just goes on and on and on and on. And they're suffering. Like teenagers are really, really, really suffering. And um, so this girl was there and she was 17 years old. They're having a coffee with St. Xenia and St. Xenia says to the girl, 
um, here you are making coffee, your husband's burying his wife. So you say to yourself, your husband is burying his wife, but she wasn't married, this little girl. She was only 17 years old. Your husband's burying um, his wife. So strange words. And then the girl goes, you know, puzzled, and then Sanctuary goes, go, go, you know, like a really aggressive, go, go to the cemetery. So off they go to the cemetery, and they come across um, um, a young doctor who was, whose wife had died in childbirth, and he was burying the wife. And then just at the time that he saw the, them throw the sand on the grave, in, in, into the grave where the coffin was, he fainted, and he fainted towards the mother and that daughter. Anyway, they helped him and slowly, slowly got to know him. And one year later, the doctor married the girl. And that was, you know, very uh, uh, interesting that he... See, the words seem strange, but she foresaw that that would be for her. And as I said, that the house. And this one here I really love as well, just quickly, was... Um, Another time, Blessed Xenia came to her good friend, a lady there, to whom she had given her a house and become a widow, and told her, here you are making socks at home, and you don't know that God has sent you a son. Go quickly to the Smolensk Cemetery. So this woman was saying, but I haven't got it. I'm not even pregnant. She might have not even been married. And, um, and he goes, um, she said that she knew that whatever St. Xenia said, she had faith in the saint. It must mean something. So she went to the mm, cemetery. When she approached the cemetery, she saw a large group of people and she discovered that a coachman, you know, horse and cart, someone, had run over a pregnant woman. This man accidentally ran over a pregnant woman with the horse and cart. And at that time, the woman gave birth and then the, she died, the lady died. And they didn't know who owned it, who, who, who was the father. They didn't know who the lady was. They didn't know anything. The police tried. And this woman um, uh, took the child and she brought the child up. So that became her son. And um, she gave him a good upbringing and obviously Christian, etc. And he, she, um, was a, he was very loving to his stepmother. She was very, very dedicated. Um, he, was, he came very... Um, he, he had a lot of respect for St. Xenia because he could have become an orphan, which he didn't, well, he did, but he didn't go to an orphanage and things like that, but he found someone to take care of him, which was this, this good woman. And that's, that, that, that's, that should be enough on the miracles. You should read the, the, the life. So, uh, we have any questions on the life any comments disagreements whatever yes when our spiritual life joins with our everyday life. That we don't separate the two. So at work, we act as if we are worldly, do things which we, which we know we shouldn't do. But when we're at church, 
around church people, we act differently. And this is because our two lives aren't together. We should be at all times orthodox. The two must be together. When the two join together, that's when our salvation begins and our struggles and our sanctity. Other questions? Yes? Sorry? We cannot commemorate a person who's died outside the church, who's not orthodox, in the liturgy. However, we are out of love. There is no reason, and it's, and it's good, to give money for the, to the poor on behalf of that soul and leave it in God's hands, what he will do with that person, and also to pray for that person. This is allowed, and the more love you've got for the person, the more you will help them. How they're helped, the church doesn't know. But they are helped, but we don't know how they're helped. But you cannot put a non-Orthodox into the liturgy to be commemorated. You cannot do a panahita, you cannot do a memorial prayer for a non-Orthodox because they are not part of the church. However, love does not just stop at the services, but love goes on where we help them with our money to the poor, doing good deeds, very powerful. Remember the example of some pagan priest who was in hell and he said, uh, I can't remember anyway, uh, a saint spoke to him or something and the, saint, uh, the, and the pagan priest said, when you, when you orthodox pray or when you pray for us, in general in other words, we feel some comfort, some respite in our sufferings. I'm not saying that that means that people outside the church are going to go to hell. Not, that's not my job. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in this case, this person was a, a priest that used to worship the demons and all that. And he said that he would feel some respite when there was prayers going on. Because when the church prays, it does pray for all the world. But liturgically, in the sense of priests doing the proskomidi and the liturgy, we cannot pray. We cannot commemorate the non-Orthodox. However... People can give names of the non-Orthodox to the priest and he can pray privately. And that's where St. John, Archbishop of Shanghai and San Francisco, there's an example of a woman whose mother died as a non-Orthodox and she said that she was asking for the help of the saint and she saw the saint in his black, like I am, praying for the mother but not in the liturgical, not in the vestments like I was wearing in there, because we cannot do that. That might be cruel to some and this and that, but it's not cruel. There's wisdom in everything. The church is not cruel. We might think it's cruel, but it's not cruel. One more question? Yes? Well... The, as I said before, that the life does not actually say that they were saved. God knows. However, as I said, if he was an enemy of God, this is important. There are people who are enemies of God, conscious enemies. They're different to an orthodox person who's slack, ignorant. A lot of people don't even know. They might be orthodox, but they don't know about the church. 
So they're not really enemies. They could be doing sins, bad sins, but a lot of times in ignorance. And they can die in that way. But they weren't fully, what we can say, conscious enemies of God. They were ignorant, they were this. A church can help them a lot. It's when that person dies really stubbornly unrepentant. Now, he did not confess, obviously, before his death. And did, but we don't know exactly what was his conscience. Was he, uh, did he know about orthodoxy and he rejected it? Was he just slack? Was he brought up in an orthodox manner by his parents? We don't know. However, what I do know is that when a person prays for someone like that, whether exactly what happened to him, but my unofficial opinion is for a person to pray like she did for him, he received a lot of help and, as I said, maybe more than what he would have if he was still alive. So do not think that because someone dies where they're not really church going or whatever, it means that they're all lost. Because prayers for the dead done by those who are alive have been known to take people out of hell. The, I have read the church fathers say that people who, who um, yes, they weren't living proper church lives and that, but the love, they must have done something good to leave behind someone who loves them so much to be able to pray like she did for him. And that's an example for all of us. Even if someone does pass away and we can say that they weren't conscious Orthodox Christians, we, if we love them, we will not leave anything undone to um, pray for that soul. And in God's eyes, such love does not go wasted. Exactly how much it helps them and how, we don't know. But it helps them immensely more than what we know. Uh, that's it. Anyone else? Good questions. You see those questions are excellent. Yes. The question is, if someone was a real enemy of God and you know them or whatever, can, can you pray for them and should you pray for them? Mm -hmm. The answer to that is completely got to do with the love the person has for them. If a person, first we have to determine, some people come to me and go, oh, my, my uncle, he was an atheist. Um, he was orthodox, but he was an atheist. Oh, he really, really hated the church and never went to church and this and this and he was against it and that. Here, here's his name. That, that's easy. Oh, here's his name. And I say, no, sorry. No, because that's easy to give me the name. I say to them, how much do you love that person? Oh, maybe. Well, yeah. Then someone else says, oh, I really love that person. Why did you love that person? Oh, he'd done this when I was young and he helped me and then I really love. That love is what determines whether it's wrong to commemorate the person. If, that, if you have love for that person, deep concern and love, then those prayers that you're doing is not a sin. What happens to that person, I don't know, but 100%, there's some type of help there. Exactly what it is, 
We don't know. It depends on the love of the person. Go into the priest and say, here's the name, and here's a dollar, right? Um, he commemorate the name. I say, you first go and you pray and you give money to the poor and come back to me. They don't usually come back, which means they don't, they've got no love for the person. It's not up to me. It's up to them. Did you understand that or did that scandalise some of you? I hope it doesn't upset some of you, does it? Isn't it to do with love? Not to do with me, it's to do with the love of the person. And in point of actual fact, we don't know. Even the worst atheist, at the moment of their death, we don't know whether they actually repented. A lot of times we don't know. And then, but God knows, his angel knows, we don't know. And what happens is that his angel inspires people who were left his relatives or on earth to pray for him, do good for him, to help him. We don't know exactly. I mean, it would have to be someone that, you know, on his dying breath is the worst is someone on his dying breath to be blaspheming and this and that. But a lot of people die with cancer. We don't know. Even a minute before their death, we think that they're unconscious. They could be unconscious. You know, that's why when you, you know, a lot of priests that go to see dying people, they could be unconscious. And all of a sudden you see just as they're dying, all of a sudden a tear comes out of the eye. Well, you know, we don't know what's going on in there. We think they're unconscious, but they might not be. And at that moment, they, they, they actually repented. It doesn't mean they're going to get into heaven because they repented one minute before they die. St. Gregory of Nyssa says that. But at least they're not dying. Enemies of God. And that then opens the door for the church, for people behind to help them. Things like that. That was a good question too. Okay, yes, Helen. Will be done. Yes, I read that. That's excellent. When someone commits suicide, you're not allowed to commemorate them in the church. Actually, you're not even allowed to bury them in the church. They can't have a funeral service. If the person was not mentally ill. If the person's mentally ill and it's been diagnosed that they're mentally ill, etc. It's very hard sometimes to tell if it's mental illness or comes from sin. Anyway, but in general, uh, if they're mentally ill, you can bury them. If they are not mentally ill and they just, die, they just committed suicide because they're hopeless, they're proud, they didn't want to admit their mistakes or, you know, things like that, then you're not allowed, the church does not bury those people and the church does not, uh, you can't commemorate those people in the liturgy. So the Optina elders, great holy elders of Russia, gave the, that the answer, which is what I said before, that the person can pray for them individually as a person, you can do that if you know the person, and you can give money for the poor. You can even fast for them. You can even fast to make your prayers more strong. Money for the poor. Liturgies you can't do. And that correct, which I wanted to say, but I didn't want to go into full detail. But when you pray for a person, a non-Orthodox person or a person that's committed suicide, because we don't know exactly what's going on with them, you pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, thy will be done. Thy will be done. You know what's the best for that person. You know everything about them. Your will be done. That's how you pray for a non-Orthodox person that's died, an atheist or suicide. Thy will be done. Together with money for, to the poor. 
and that, 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 that money for the poor and your own prayers and things. Yes, thanks for that. It's, that's the, the, we don't know what happens to them. We don't even know what's going to happen to us. But um, the Orthodox Church believes that we as Orthodox have to be active members of the Church for salvation. If you leave the Church, you won't be saved. If we leave the Church and go outside of the Church, we 100% won't be saved. As for those who are outside of the Church, well, outside of the Orthodox Church, it's not our job to judge them. We don't know. That's, that's not our job. We pray for everyone to be saved. How God will bring them to, we don't know. But we can't say, oh, they're not going to be saved because they're not Orthodox. We don't know. Through the prayers of our Holy Father's Lord Amen. Traversing the water as on dry land, and thereby escaping from the toils of Egypt's land, the Israelites cried aloud, proclaiming, Unto our God and Redeemer, let us now sing, O Saint of God, interceding our behalf, to godly wise Xenia, the fool for Christ, the marvel of angels, and true joy of the Christian race. We chant hymns and praises in thanksgiving, for her great loving affection shown unto us. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. The angels in heaven receive her soul. O God-loving Senya, with rejoicing at thy repose. And we here on earth I call thee blessed, acclaiming all of thy struggles for Christ our Lord. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. May whoever knew me pray for my soul, that is so by Christ God, may be saved, it's a say, O saint. It's we who have known thee in the Spirit, bow down to thee for thy God-like humility, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. To thee, O pure virgin, I run with faith, deliver my poor soul, which is seized in the grip of sin, and bring it to freedom through repentance, by thy strong press to our Saviour, O blameless one. Of the vault of the heavens art thou, O Lord, fashioner, so too of the church art thou founder, do thou establish me in unfeigned love for thee, who art the heart of things thoughtful, and self of the faithful, O thou only friend of man, O saint of God, intercede in our behalf. When thy dear husband Andrew had met his end suddenly, then, O blessed Senya, thy pure soul, began to seek the Lord. With groans and heartfelt tears, since first the Saviour consoled thee, and called thee to struggle for his sake in foolishness, O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. With the death of thy husband, there died in thee the old man, for its cares and longings and vain love, by grace had been replaced. With love for Christ our God, thus teach us also, O Xenia, to live for the Saviour and look for the age to come. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. By the name of the first called from Galilee, that was called, as thou didst remain true, Oxenia, to Christ who called thee forth, from vain and fleeting things, to those both sure and eternal, which things thou didst by much force with a manly mind, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. I have thee as my haven, if storms of life shelter me, O pure Theotokos and virgin, 
and say, my lowly soul, for thou canst do all things through Christ our loving Creator, who came down from heaven to rescue the race of man. Preserve and save, O blessed Savior, thy lowly servants, who with hymns now honor thee on this thy joyous feast. For thou hast found great boldness with Christ God our Savior. In thy good will, look thou on me, O him Theotokos, and do thou behold my body's grievous infirmity, and heal thou the cause of my soul's sorrow. O Senior, thy grief and sorrow at thy husband's death were means by which God then drew thee to himself instead. Hence thy tears renewed thy pure soul, which sought out the Lord, thy bridegroom Christ, with whom intercede now for us, since thou hast found boldness with our King on high. I have hearkened and heard, O Lord, of thy dispensations, most awesome mystery, and I came to knowledge of thy works, and I sang the praise of thy divinity. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf, paying heed to the Saviour's words, thou didst give away thy possessions to the poor, and didst follow Christ, O righteous one, taking up thine own cross as our Lord commands. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf, like a treasure hid in a field, so doth Christ the Saviour abide in the pure soul, and so shineth forth with grace divine on the churches faithful who pray unto thee. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Many marvel at thy great change, for thy transformation was sudden and complete. Hence from Petersburg didst thou depart, led forth by the Spirit to suppress the Lord. Both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. We the faithful now call thee blessed, O pure Theotokos, the light of all the world. For the Saviour Christ shone forth from thee, in a wondrous manner most ineffable. Lord, enlighten us by thy precepts and by thy commands, and by the power of thy lofty arm. Bestow thy peace upon us, all since thou art friend of man. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. Having been prepared by the Saviour after many years, thou didst return, O Saint, to Petersburg, whereby the Spirit of the Lord that was a fool for Christ. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. Andrew was a name, thou didst call thyself, O Righteous One. And as a soldier thou didst serve the Lord, in the attire of thy husband for whom thou didst pray. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. To the forest poor was a simple Christ, O patient one. It's come to us to glorify thy name. O blessed Senior, for our souls are truly poor in grace, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Help me, O pure one, for with faith and love I run to thee. Our mighty fortress, sure impregnable, our shield and rampart, and our weapon, we shall slay the foe. Entreaty, do I pour forth unto the Lord, and to him do I proclaim all my sorrows, for many woes fill my heart to repletion, and all my life unto Hades hath now drawn I. Like Jonas do I pray to thee, raise me up from corruption, O Lord my God, O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. 
Matthias, a great apostle of the Lord, aided thee, O wondrous one, in thy struggles, for thou didst pray day and night in his temple, where thou was nourished by Christ, God with grace divine. And grant that we too may abide by thy praise in the church of the living God. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. O Xenia, thy meekness and humility were made manifest to all by thy trials. For thy despair, ridicule, and revilement, which of like patience for Christ, the great sufferer, thus help us also by thy prayers to bear all things courageously for the Lord. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Thy poor clothes were of two colors, red and green, and these colors of thyself were symbolic. For thou didst live all thy life as a martyr, and thou didst blossom forth virtues abundantly. Hence teach us all to live for Christ, that we too may rejoice in the age to come, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. The angels on high we praises honor thee, O thou ever virgin pure Theodorus, and we thy flock join with hymns of thanksgiving, for that is given to Christ who redeemed our race. We pray thee, Lady, be our guide, lead us all to the kingdom of Christ our God. Preserve and save, O blessed Xenia, thy lowly servants, who with hymns now honor thee on this thy joyous feast. For thou hast found great boldness with Christ God our Saviour. O spotless one, who inexpressibly in the last days didst by a word bring forth a word, do thou make request of him, as one who had motherly boldness. When thine eyes had been opened to behold those things on high, Thou didst straightway seek to please thy Saviour who called thee, and didst go forth as if to the desert like Moses of old, where thou didst struggle greatly, and thou wast purified, and was sent back by the Lord to Petersburg, thy city, to lead all sinners to salvation. Hence lead us also to Christ, O wonder worker, for we trust in thee. From my youth to many passions war against me, but to the thyself defend and save me, O my Saviour. From my youth to many passions war against me, but to the thyself defend and save me, O my Saviour. Ye haters of Zion shall be shamed by the Lord, for like grass by the fire shall ye be withered. Ye haters of Zion shall be shamed by the Lord, for like grass by the fire shall ye be withered. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit every soul is quickened, and through cleansing is exalted and made radiant by the triple unity in a hidden sacred manner, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. By the Holy Spirit the streams of grace gush forth, watering all creation for the begetting of life. Wondrous is God in his saints, 
see then the God of Israel, wondrous is God in his saints, even the God of Israel. In congregations bless ye God, the Lord from the wellsprings of Israel, wondrous is God in his saints, even the God of Israel. In those parts of Petersburg, where all the poor had their dwellings, there Oxenia thou didst live as a fool for Christ, a strange from the world for God, wearing away the flesh that the Holy Spirit might abide in thee thus purified. Hence God's love molded thee to be like himself, most compassionate, and like a candle thou did shine on the church's faithful and all the world, working many wonders and healings for all who ran to thee. Therefore we also now ask of thee, save us by thy prayers, O Once from out of Judea did the children go down to the land of Babylon. The fire of the furnace they trampled down while chanting by their faith in the Trinity. O God of our fathers, blessed art thou. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. Emulating Saint Andrew, blessed Xenia was homeless by choice for Christ our God. And in all different seasons she wandered as a pilgrim, passing all of her life outdoors. And by her prayers to the Lord she helped the poor and needy. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. Watch and pray without ceasing, were the words of our Saviour and for the mouth of Christ. These words have been fulfilled by the ever-watchful Xenia, whose pure heart was aflame with prayer and who became for her Lord a cleansed and precious vessel. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. By the gifts of the Spirit, meekness, patience, clairvoyance, and prayer and prophecy, Saint Xenia labored greatly in Christ the Saviour's vineyard, and brought forth fruit a hundredfold. For her great joy was to do the will of God in all things, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. When the enemy's arrows seek to grievously wound us in heart and mind through sin, come quickly, made and quench them, for thou art our defender that dost scatter the devil's hordes. Therefore we all run to thee, O holy Theotokos. The King of heaven, whom all the hosts of angels hymn with their chants and praises of glory, praise ye and exalt him to the ages forever. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. The greatest struggle and highest form of perfection is to be a fool for Christ our Saviour. And in this recalling thou didst serve God with great zeal. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. At not without fail, in open fields that is labor, praying to the Lord until the day dawn. Teach us also Xenia to pray with perseverance. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As thou didst labor, to carry bricks for those workmen, who for the repose built the Smolensk church. So come now and help us, and build us up in spirit. 
both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. The root of Jesse did blossom forth the pure one, Mary from whose womb came forth the Saviour, Christ the sacred flower of life and incorruption. Most rightly we confess thee as our God's forgiver, we who through thee have been saved, O the Virgin most pure, with wise of bodiless angels, thee do we magnify. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. By prayer and great clairvoyance, thou wilt bless Xenia, to save the faithful from death and their trials in life. Hence number all of us also, among us saved by thee. O Saint of God, intercede in our behalf. We venerate thy relics, marvel at thy wonders, and glorify thee with hymns of thy struggler for Christ. For thou abidest, O Senior, in everlasting life. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. From sin and its illumined, Satan's poison honey. Do thou preserve us, O Saint, all the days of our life, that we may taste the true sweetness with thee in paradise, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. We pray thee, Theotokos, grant us true repentance, that in the day of the Lord we may stand with the saved. For we all trust in thy goodness, O holy bride of God. supplication do we sinners offer unto thee as our master have mercy on us glory to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit lord have mercy on us for in thee have we placed all our trust be not wroth with us greatly nor do thou remember our iniquities but look upon us even now since thou art compassionate and do thou redeem us from our enemies for thou art our God, and we thy people. All other works of thy hands, and upon thy name have we called. Both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Do thou open the portal of compassion unto us, O most blessed Theodokos. For hoping in thee, let us not fail, we pray. Through thee may we be delivered from adversities. For thou art the salvation of the Christian ray. As a pilgrim upon the earth and a stranger to worldly things, 
Thou, our blessed Xenia, was daily crucified in homeless wanderings, in poverty, in mocking, in heat and cold, having nothing on the earth but the love of the Son of God, who abased himself with the poverty thou hast nobly followed, and whose glory thou now sharest in everlasting magnificence. When the blow of thy husband's death blew the vain mist of worldly joys, from thy prudent soul thou didst die to earthly life, and taking on thee the burden of thy yoke, mates unshriven soul, thou didst learn that boundless love of the new bridegroom thou hast found, and thou didst become a divine intercessor for the suffering, an advocate for sinners, a help to all that invoke thy care. To the people of Petersburg thou didst make known what bitterness lurketh in the sweetness of all the world's delights. When thou didst show them the corpse hidden in honey of greatest price, for thy seeming foolishness hid within it the heavenly wisdom of the Lord, who through sorrows perfected thee and made of thee a spring of endless wonders. O noble Senior, a champion. Wearing tattered clothes, no thief would steal. Thou wast clad within with a majesty that no angel would scorn. Feigning folly, thou didst darkly tell of things to come, prophesying the death of kings, the fortune of sovereigns, guiding all with hidden sayings in the will of God, which when they obeyed, they exalted but repeat to sorrow in slighting, for thou hast become the very mouth of God. Wondrous is God and his saints, bring your pains, your weakness and distress to this sweet provider and healer, this godly haven of rest. Send ye the compassion at the stuff of strength to walk, weep to her that wept all her life. Implore the Consoler, bring your sufferings unto her that shows the cross of Christ. For no tear is burned by her mercy, but like seed that falleth in good earth, quickly bringeth forth response to heartfelt prayer. With patience I waited patiently for the Lord, and he was attentive unto me. Though thou didst conceal thy gifts in life, after death thy father who saw thee performing all for his sake, openly hath made thy grave a fount of miracles, healing sickness and staying death, resolving men's troubles, lighting up the way of life for all invoking thee. Wherefore, with thy God-given boldness, help our souls of venerable Xenia, Open up the kingdom that our sins have shut. Senior, the fool for Christ, God's holy wanderer, now in our Father's house, dwelleth eternally. For she with hills of Christ the Lord, who called her to the great struggle. And in all of Petersburg, she helped all 
Since to our intercessor we cry out, Rejoice in the Lord, O blessed Savior. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. O Rich men have turned poor and gone hungry, but they that seek the Lord shall not be deprived of any good thing. Senior, we the faithful praise thy name with the hosts of angels in heaven on this thy radiant feast. For they were astonished at thy wondrous way of life As a stranger and full for Christ And we too now thank thee For thy love and benefactions and great miracles Shown to us the wretched and sinful Who now with repentance implore thee Lead us all from darkness to the light of Christ Lady, do thou receive the supplications of thy slaves and deliver us from every affliction and necessity. Unto thee do I commit mine every hope, O Mother of God. Guard me under thy shelter. Full 
Blessed Xenia, wondrous was thy prayer. Thou didst pray for everyone in the fields at night. Hear thou my entreaty, O Matushka Xenia. Grant that I may pour out my sorrow with my tears. O Blessed Xenia, how thou didst endure. Hunger, cold, and poverty disappear for all. Strengthen me in patience, O Matushka Xenia. Help me to endure my most bitter pain and grief. O blessed Xenia, greatly did I love. There would be no warmer love than that which was thine. Oh, thou almost radiant, Matushka Xenia, love for our dear Saviour, do thou grant unto me. Oh, blessed Xenia, how thou didst grow weary, thou was weary weeping and suffering for all. Oh, my strength is spared now, oh, Matushka Xenia, I cannot be steadfast without the holy prayers. Oh, blessed Xenia, many years have passed. I long in my heart for those blessed days of old, hoping in thy mercy, O oh, Matushka Xenia. At the little chapel I whisper once again, Blessed Xenia, guide me, my most dear one, thou to see the dangerous way I have to walk, where there be uncertain ways, Matushka Xenia, lead me on the path to salvation by the hand. Oh, blessed Xenia, help me, my most dear one, Fervently I pray to thee deep within my heart, asking for thy mercy, O Matushka Xenia, to thy holy chapel now 